0: Hello, hello, my friends, welcome back to Joyful Courage, a conscious parenting podcast where we tease apart the challenges and nuances of parenting through the adolescent years. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and adolescent lead at Sproutable, where we celebrate not only the growth of children, but also the journey and evolution that we all get to go through as parents. This is a place where we keep it real. Real stories, real parenting. The teen years are real messy and there aren't many right answers. But the more we trust ourselves and trust our teens, the better the outcomes can be. The parenting we talk about over here is relationship-centered. You won't find a lot of talk about punishment, consequences or rewards, What you will hear is a lot of encouragement about connection, curiosity, and life skill development. Our teens are on their own journey. And while we get to walk next to them for a bit, we don't get to walk for them. Their work is to learn from the tension of their life. Our work is to support them and love them along the way. I'm so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hi, listeners. I am so excited to welcome you back and to welcome my guest today, Ivy Kwong. Ivy is a psychotherapist specializing in relationships, love, intimacy, trauma, and codependency, and Asian American mental health. She has a private practice for therapy clients in California and Washington and coaching worldwide. Ivy is the author of Healing Codependency, and The Little Girl, The Ocean and the Moon, a children's book for both grown-ups and youth on the importance of remembering and honoring your childhood dreams. She speaks with companies, organizations, and ERGs on mental health and relationships. Ivy's currently writing a book on healing your relationship with your parents for children of immigrants. Hi, Ivy. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me.
0: Will you start off by telling us your story of getting into the work that you do?
1: Mm. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) It's been a journey. Of course, growing up to Asian parents is very much doctor or lawyer. These are the only two professions that exist that you're allowed to consider. I started out on the law track and very quickly felt my soul shriveling underneath fluorescent lights, doing lots Mm. of paperwork. Vaccine and contracts. And I started volunteering on the Suicide Prevention Hotline four hours every week. And after a while, I realized that this was what I wanted to do. And if there's Mm -hmm. a way for me to be able to do it for a living, I would like to say yes to that. Because just working in that space, you realize how much pain there is in the world. And I learned that by holding space, in a really sacred way, just really listening to, hearing, and supporting people where they were at, there was a way to alleviate a little bit of that. So I'm very much a believer in leaving people, places, things, situations better than when you found them. And so that was the switch to therapy. And I actually, in the very beginning of my journey as a therapist, specialized in codependency and have since evolved to include Asian American mental health, certainly given the events of the past few years. Also really hopeful when it comes to having more avenues to speak about mental health In a culture and community that very much does not or has not previously, due to shame and it not being part of our upbringing. But that's definitely shifting, which is really hopeful.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like generationally, that, you know, like Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z, like there's more of an opening for Asian Americans as far as releasing that shame and being willing to dig into
1: the mental health experience? Absolutely. What I'm noticing is among senior generations, an openness a willingness to understanding, just speaking, just speaking and sharing about what's mm-hmm. really going on and seeking support for that. I mean, I feel like more and more people are recognizing how the importance of mental health is just as important and very intimately tied to physical health. It's interesting. I think in Asia, I forget where they opened up a mental health clinic and nobody went in and they changed it to like, physical health clinic and everyone started going and it was essentially the same offering yeah. but you yeah. just had kind of marketed it in a slightly different way. It's really been encouraging seeing a lot of folks who are parents and even grandparents being more and more open to therapy seeing how transformative it has been for the children. I mean, this has also been something very new certainly in what I've been hearing and working with. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I am As a podcaster and someone who loves to be in all sorts of conversations, especially in the context of parenting, raising kids, teens Mm -hmm. specifically, I'm always seeking out new voices and new people to talk to, especially people of color. And when I came across your Instagram account, I was pulled right in. I think I sent you a message and I was like, oh my gosh, I just watched like 15 videos that you posted of you having conversations With your parents and inviting them into some really vulnerable sharing around their experience of being parented and of parenting you, what inspired you to collect those conversations and then to
1: share them? I've been having a very unexpected journey of healing with my own parents in recent years. And it has allowed for so much more openness and possibility in terms of the conversations that we're able to have. And so the last few conversations prior to the one that I recorded where they're so rich, I was found myself wishing that I could just have them to have for myself. And so I did not plan on posting anything. I just really wanted to have these memories for myself, maybe to share with my sisters. We have like a, I have three younger sisters. We have a sister's WhatsApp chat. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to share this with them. Two of them live on the East Coast. So I just started recording and just kind of propped it up by the napkin holder and didn't say anything. And then had a conversation that ended up being one of the most powerful and profound. And I sent it to my sisters and they were very much, oh my God, I had no idea. These mom and dad, we'd never heard some of these things shared before. And I realized that there was so much there that could maybe help support others who have immigrant parents or you know parents who have come from different countries cultures generations just different lives different worlds and to be able to offer some compassion mm-hmm. because i think if you listen to what is said on one level you might feel shocked or horrified or deeply unsettled and wait a second is that okay and then in the little copy area of each video i kind of elaborate on why what is being said is being said and where it comes from and hopefully supporting greater compassion for mm-hmm. all involved, which I didn't have before. I was very angry in the past about not yeah. getting the love that I wanted from my parents the way that I wanted it. And now they can say the exact same thing that would have caused enough wine to a rage in my teens and twenties. And that I can now listen to the message beneath it and receive with gratitude and with love.
0: hmm There's just such a sweetness in your response to them, and a lightness, you know, like especially when you were talking about saying "I love you." Or there was a point where your mom is like, "Yeah, I'm not into that." Basically, she's like, "Yeah, I don't do that. You do that. You like that. I don't like that."
1: Like, mom, why yeah, don't you give us hugs? Like, ooh, I don't do huggy huggy. Yeah.
0: And it's just like you know, I mean, it's such a gift to come to that place. Because, you know, we all have whatever the baggages that we're carrying based on how we were parented and the way that we were loved. And it's so easy to hang on to that. But to get some space and some perspective and to circle back and recognize that, I mean, we love people as a response to how we were loved. Either reliving the same thing that was given to us or making a conscious choice of, seeking out what we need and seeking out something different, but to go back and to just kind of connect those dots to our parents and their experience of love and, you know, and our grandparents' experience of love. I just think it allows for so much healing and forgiveness and connection. And it's so alive in those videos. So thank you for sharing those. They were so sweet.
1: Morris, thank you for watching and for feeling what you felt. Yeah. How did you create safety
0: in those conversations? Like, I imagine that outside of what was captured on camera, there might have been a little bit of like, why are you asking us this? Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And so, how did you create safety? Because a lot of people want to have these kinds of conversations with their parents, and it's like there's a barrier to that. Even as I think about my own experiences, I know that there are some painful memories for one of my parents in particular around how they, showed up early on. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to hold a space where she's able to step in mm-hmm. is challenging.
1: A few options that I say yes to um, that kind of set this up unintentionally. One was to timing. Timing is everything. This conversation mm-hmm. happened after a meal where we're all kind of just sitting around, chatting, you know, a little bit of fruit. There's spaciousness. People are more relaxed, people are yeah. more present, just there's all right. We can busy this space, or we can all leave this space and play with the kids around our phones, or we can stay here and continue to engage. And I think that every time I have approached my parents with sincere curiosity, care and no expectation, that's a big one. Going in with zero expectations, not because I think people can feel when you're wanting something from them. Oh yeah. Teens and parents alike. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Oh, yes. And we are very sensitive that. And sometimes the first reaction is to close up and you don't get that. Well, so just curiosity and openness. And previously, if I heard something said that I didn't like that triggered me, I would react by arguing, debating, having them explain, just it became more of an argument as opposed to a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I found that one of the most beautiful ways to support people in sharing is to Again, lead with curiosity. Can you tell me more about that? As opposed to why? Why would you say that? Why are you like that? You know, just tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. I'd love to hear more. Can you elaborate on that? And mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Thank you mm-hmm. for sharing that. And maintaining that spirit of curiosity, care, and genuine presence with what is being shared without judgment, without shame, without blame is really, I think, integral to any sort of safe space in any conversation you may have.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, I just asked you how you created safety with your parents. And then I kind of joked about, oh, it's the same with teens. It is. It's human relationship. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) You know, human relationship. I recently had a client who's working on creating relationship with her kids. And, you know, she's kind of moving in this personal growth space and her partner is not. And she's like, So what do I do about this? And you know, I really got to say all these things that we've been talking about to create conversation and connection with our teens is absolutely stuff that you can lean into with your partner. You know, Mm -hmm. like what do they need? What's their vision? How do they wanna be, you know, spoken to? What works for them? If you're taking the lead, how do they want you to step in? Do they want you to step in? So, you know, this is just a reminder that, you know, for listeners, we package things as this is parenting, but really it's humaning. It's being in relationship with each other. And I think that really highlights what you're saying really highlights that.
1: One of the greatest gifts that we give ourselves or anyone else relationally is increasing our capacity for discomfort because so many conversations become derailed whether you're a parent having a conversation with a teen, with your partner, with your own parent, it's, oh no, I'm triggered. Suddenly I'm in fight or flight mode. Suddenly I'm dysregulated. You know, maybe it's a parent talking to a teen and something triggers them, they're afraid and they want to protect their child and then you're no longer listening. You're no longer present. You're trying to save them or yourself. And so I found that in all conversations, being able to notice, ooh, I'm having a response, I'm having a reaction, my heart is racing, right? And taking a moment to regulate so that you can continue the conversation. Because connection happens when you're regulated, when you're both regulated, when you're calm and safe, that's where you can connect. If you're in fight or flight or complete numbing out, you can't connect in that space. So the more you can do to support your own nervous systems regulation, the more Present you can be, and the more rich your relationships can be.
0: Mm, yeah, I love that. Talk a little bit about intergenerational trauma and how that can show up. I think that's definitely something that therapists speak. It's been kind of a buzzword the last few years. And I feel like there's a lot of parents that don't even realize that they're experiencing intergenerational trauma. And that it's actually moving through them and into their experience with their kids. Talk about what it means
1: to you. So a couple of things are coming up. I'll give a personal and professional example. In the sciencey world, they've done an experiment with rats, where one generation of rats gets to smell cherries while being you know, zapped and electrocuted. And it's not fun, right? It's being shocked. So that is generation of rats learns to have a very strong aversion to the smell of cherries. We'll win, we'll run away, we'll avoid at all costs. They found that six generations, six levels of offspring, you know, their children, their children's children had an aversion to the smell of cherries, mm. even though, you know, six generations later, they had never been directly shocked. And so the things that we learn, the trauma that we hold, the experiences that we have, we pass on both genetically and experientially to our offspring. And if we don't have the awareness that it's happening, it just keeps going. I mean, just using an example of if the only form of discipline you ever knew was to hit, right, then one generation will get beaten and told, well, this is how you're going to learn. They in turn beat the next generation. This is the only way you'll learn. They in turn beat the next. Or this is how you learn. This is what my parents did to me and their grandkids to them. This is just what you do. Right. And it's very unconscious. And if you don't know you have a choice, you actually don't have a choice. That is profound. And so, so much of the work, you know, in therapy is expanding your awareness of knowing what you don't know so that you can start to realize, oh, I can have choice. And once you realize you have choice, then you can have freedom. And that's where there can be healing for yourself generations before you and generations after you. Yeah. So healing intergenerational trauma, like doing
0: the work to expand awareness and realize you have a choice and interrupting our conditioning. Are those both the same thing? One is included in the other.
1: Okay. So part of the work of healing intergenerational trauma is expanding your awareness to give you greater choice and greater freedom and greater healing. There are so many levels and so many ways that you can approach this healing. So one is also in the form of reparenting yourself and giving yourself what you didn't get. You see, so you stop going to the source that cannot give it to you. So just to veer away from this, but it's also included in this, So many people choose romantic partners who on some level remind them of the parent that they didn't get what they needed from the most. So for example, if you had kind of like a withholding father who wasn't very emotional, perhaps you will be very strongly attracted and drawn to people who have more emotional unavailability. And then you try and heal that core wound by showing how lovable you are and changing and fixing Mm -hmm. them. And if you get the love from them, that means you've healed the original wound. And we can rinse and repeat this in so many areas of our lives, but if we take the time to heal that core wound from within, then you stop looking for it externally. And I will say at the same time, trauma that happens in relationship can only be healed in relationship, in community and with yourself. There's a balance to this. Tell me more about that.
0: So I'm thinking about my own experience of like, I notice, talk about being dysregulated. Like I notice that when I'm With my dad, I talk really fast. Mm -hmm. There's this like desperate energy Mm -hmm. that can show up, not all the time, but sometimes it can show up. And I'm waiting for him to tell me how proud he is of me because Mm -hmm. I have veered away from the expectation that Mm -hmm. I have been presented that I believe was kind of the conditional expectations Mm -hmm. that I think were placed upon me and kind of done my own thing and still want that approval. And so I notice. That when I pull my shoulders back and breathe mm-hmm. and feel my feet on the floor mm-hmm.
2: and speak
0: slower and mm-hmm. share with my dad from that body, mm-hmm. I enjoy the sharing. And it's more about getting to share and less about needing something from him. Right. And part of that, too, is just being really clear for myself that mm-hmm. I am proud of me. So is that kind of the reparenting? I'm always curious about reparenting. If I understand it, do I not understand it?
1: So I'll go into reparenting, but first I just really want to honor what you shared about noticing how different it is when you're speaking really quickly and have that, mm, dad, are you going to show me that? tell me So that. desperate. It's painful. And one of the questions is how old do I feel in this moment? Right? Do you feel like you're in your current present day self? Do you feel like you're six years old? Do you feel like you're 10, 15 years old? And that's a part of you that's yearning for that validation, that support, those words from your father that so badly wanted to hear them. And part of the reparenting work is, okay, if that is not something my father has said, ever said, might ever say, then the grieving of that on one level, mm-hmm. and also the giving that to yourself on another level, right? Standing yourself, connecting with what is true for you. I am proud of what I'm sharing And Mm. also finding people who are able, this is with the community, right? Who are to give you that from a sincere place of really being able to see you and share that from a place of their own truth. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, you don't need to have him say it so you can stand and feeling what it feels like for yourself. And then ironically, that's actually most likely the place where he could actually feel you from a place of, ah, I don't need Mm -hmm. anything. Okay, so now I can just enjoy this with you and feel whatever I'm feeling. So yeah, reparenting is essentially, I believe that we hold all the parts of us that have ever been within us. So our infant selves, five-year-old selves, 10 year olds like all of our younger selves with their memories and their feelings and their desires and their dreams, they're all still inside of us. And reparenting is kind of getting to know each part, your inner child, your angry teenager rebellious teenager right and getting to know them and being curious about who they are and when they show up and when they feel like they have to take over your life because you don't have it and they've got it mm. but then you have a bunch of six-year-olds and teenagers running your adult lives which you know we see this often in our culture in our society right wow how old oh my are, gosh are yeah. and so <laughs> what would it be like to have fully embodied adult you there's the practice and the cultivation of that, which is parenting and caring for all these younger versions of you so that you can be able to assure them, hey, I've got this. I really appreciate you showing up for me so strongly because you have so many times in the past. You can rest now. I've got us. Mm. Right? And it's a practice of developing trust with different parts of yourselves. One younger version of yourself might say, I don't trust you to have this. I've never seen you take care of this in a way that would take care of us. So I've got to get us. So it's basically a dialogue that you can have people journal they speak out loud they record they you know just meditate on it but it's really developing a relationship with all of these younger yous so that you can be more integrated as a whole notice who's showing up when and be able to call in your present day self to be able to choose whether you would mm-hmm. like your younger self to lead or your present day self to lead to even give yourself that choice
0: it's so interesting because my son is almost 17 and my daughter's almost 20 And I would say the inner self that shows up, that gets me into the most mischief, just in a variety of areas, Mm -hmm. is my like 16 to 20 year old self. And so I can see when I'm paying attention, right? I'm not going to act like I'm super Zen all the time, but when I'm paying attention, I can see that you know, especially lately with my son, and I think I've even talked about this on the podcast. So he's in that individuation process where, you know, who am I separate from you? What views of mine are separate than yours? And that is a place where I have serious being dismissed issues. Like when I went to college and I started learning like a more liberal mindset than the really conservative-minded household that I grew up in and came home and was all excited about what I was learning. Basically, the message was, you do not really know what you're talking about. Like, that's not right. And just complete dismissal. And I noticed, though, when my child, when my son comes to me with information, especially when it's contrary to what I believe, I'm like, uh, no. Right, and so I'm really working, and I also speak into like, hey, when I was your age, this is how I was made to feel, and I want you to know that I'm working really hard not to create that kind of dynamic between Mm. the two of us. So I'm really expressive about that, but
1: man, it is like right under the surface, but certain things, right, right Right there, Mm -hmm. it's embedded into you. You literally have to restructure your cellular (laughs) cell. You yeah. do. And it's possible with time, practice, and where's consistency to embody a completely different way of being and relating, but it takes constant humbling.
0: Yeah. Well, and humbling and like being willing to notice when it's after the fact. I notice mm-hmm. like after the fact, I'll say, if I'm, you know, again, if it's like, oh, I want to explore this, because that felt really shitty. Mm-hmm. Right. So what was going on for me
1: yes. that that was my response for him. What can I reflect on? What was happening in that moment? And what would I like to do differently? One of the most powerful things any parent can do for their child or anyone can do for anyone else in a relationship is to apologize Mm -hmm. and take responsibility and accountability for what has happened, what you have done, and what you can do differently in the future from a place of sincerity, thoughtfulness, and care.
0: When you work with clients and you have an inkling, maybe they're a new client or you just haven't kind of explored intergenerational trauma with them yet, are there indicators that show up to you that are kind of like, oh, I wonder if this is a place to explore? Because I'm thinking about listeners who might just be like, no, I think it's easy to hold a narrow perspective on what big T trauma is and like help the listeners kind of explore their own possibility around perhaps there being something to heal or reparent.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So there are clues. There are clues. And some of the clues show up in the form of this is how it's always been. And this is just how it is. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself saying, well, this is just how it is. This is just how the world is. This is just how I am. Oh, that's a big one. This is just how I am.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. I have to tell you, I said that to my husband when we were like dating. And I was much more of a drinker. And I remember being like, I get mean when I drink. It's just my mom and me coming out. And he looked at me and he was like, well, you can change that. Yes. I didn't realize at the time how profound that was. I'm sure I was irritated by the response at the moment, but (laughs) of
1: course, what are you talking about?
0: You don't know know what to
2: talk about. (laughs) You have
1: no idea. Let me prove you. Right. And so anything where there's that level of no, right? Like almost a fear of losing that part of your identity, that belief that you've held to be true for so long. And if you have an opportunity to actually look at it and maybe be curious about it and maybe it could soften. And that's where there's more space for the curiosity, the compassion and change as opposed to in the rigidity.
0: Yeah. What do you think about having this feeling around needing an apology from Mm. parents? Mm. Like, well, they need to apologize for me to be able to move on.
1: So much of humanity puts a pause on their own healing and moving forward. Because I cannot, I will not move forward unless and until I get that apology, unless and until they can't take accountability for the pain that they caused, I'm going to continue to hurt myself or to prevent myself from being able to live or to experience any sort of joy or pleasure. What's coming up is you're hearing that. It's like, oh, let me continue to punish myself. I know that the, for a long time I was like, my parents cause pain, continue to cause pain, don't take out of my heaven. And so you know what? I'm going to continue to punish myself. Mm -hmm. Until they apologize. And then it will be. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And for a long time, that was just how it was. Driving so many of my decisions and behaviors was this anger and rage I had towards them that I actually turned inward towards myself. Mm -hmm. And so many people have this anger, rage, resentment that they either turn inward or outward towards others that are actually not their parents. Because that's a whole nother dynamic that maybe you cannot be as direct with about your emotions, especially when you're both in dysregulated states. Right. Just first of all, so much compassion for your having been harmed. And sometimes the people who harmed you will not realize they harmed you, acknowledge they harmed you, believe that they harmed you, truly won't. I know that for a lot of folks in my community, the parents are very much, well, I'm going to berate you. And I'm going to call you a stupid idiot and I'm going to motivate you this way. And this is loving you because by motivating you to achieve and perform and do well through this threat and punishment and emotional abuse, mm-hmm. right? That's me making sure that you'll be okay in the world. Yeah. And so you can experience that as very real harm and your parents might experience that as very real love if that's what they experience from their parents, from their parents, from their parents, their parents, their parents. Right. And so both of you are actually right. And there's two completely different realities that are quote unquote, right. So what do you do with yours? Because if you want an apology, that's you saying you have to change your entire reality to be the same as my reality. And sometimes that just isn't possible. And so, so much of that work is first and foremost, recognizing and acknowledging the harm is real. I say, sometimes you have to go through a period of, F you, like screw you, anger before you can get to forgiveness and peace and gratitude and joy, right? You can't spiritually bypass all of that grief and anger that's there because that sorrow is real. That pain is real. That sadness is real. And you have to allow yourself to feel it. And can you allow yourself to acknowledge that that is not okay? There are things that I would like to feel that are not those things. How can I create those for myself? How can I create a world where I can receive that from others? And how can I resource myself in the reparenting, Mm -hmm. right? Reparenting. I'm so sorry, little six-year-old self, that that happened to you. I'm so sorry that they hurt you. That was not okay. And I've got you now. And I'll protect you now. And I'll make sure that no one speaks to you like that again. And then from that space, perhaps from there, as you have your need taken care of, you don't need the apology, you can see your parent in a broader way as the wounded, traumatized child they are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, as you do your own healing, you can have space to hold the reality of their, your experience while not dishonoring your own. So you can yeah. then hold both and more the and and both, not either or.
3: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6 1 since that matters and. What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
0: I love what became possible for me when I let go of needing this thing that wasn't going to happen and letting go really of my parents' personal growth journey. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. in charge of their personal growth journey. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of my personal growth journey. And actually the more that I grow and Mm -hmm. I focus in on that awareness and the path that I'm on and looking for purpose, you know, whether it's the purpose of my relationships or my parenting experiences or whatever, my work, it's like all the things that are binding me to these people are unraveling. And I can enjoy them so much more without these ties of this is what I need from you. By the way, you're not even this person. So why am I expecting
1: you to be like super deeply emotionally? Yes. Right. Completely. And again, if you keep hoping to interact with someone who is not actually the person you're interacting with, there will always be this disconnect, loneliness, sadness, grief. And what happens if you are able to again? show up for yourself in a way where however anyone else shows up or doesn't show up, that can be theirs. Mm -hmm. And so often when you are a child, you are entirely dependent upon your parents for survival. You just are. Right. Right. So if they don't change, your life is literally in danger. And so sometimes you try and change yourself. You don't trigger whatever may be of harm or danger to you. And as we grow up, suddenly there's, oh, well, Maybe I can change my parents and kind of change this whole Mm -hmm. history, past, present, future. And that's such a deep childhood desire. Mm -hmm. Um, Dad, when when will you be what I want and need you to be? And again, I see this in folks who are 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even their parents who have passed. Mm -hmm. They're still, why weren't they what I wanted them to be? And once you shift from why aren't you what I want and need you to be to... How can I give myself what I have needed from you for so long? And then how can I see you and perhaps have the chance to be with you mm-hmm. as you are? And sometimes there's a realization there might need to be some boundary set in that space internally or externally. And sometimes you realize that, ah, there are some things about this dynamic that are not okay. And maybe I can now speak and share them from a place without attachment to the outcome but from a place of love, because I'd like a more genuine connection. And again, this can go any which way, but again, you're not doing it for the purpose of that outcome. You're doing it because this is true that you need to hear spoken from your lips about what is true for you.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate the boundaries conversation. I have many parents, I've step-parents and I have two different households that I grew up in, which was just, that was just normal and went through a, a particular challenge with my older child Actually, I've had a couple different moments where one was sending an email like, hey, this is what's happening. This is what we're choosing. I love you. I know you have opinions and I'm not giving you permission to (laughs) share your opinion. Mm. And then another time where I was only gonna communicate via text because I had to protect myself. I was already in so much doubt and worry around how I was supporting my child that it would not serve me to get... You know, the extra, we think you just got to do it like this. This is how it should look. And it's hard. Like, I mean, I adore my family, and, you know, it can feel really painful sometimes to be around them because of their lack of filter and awareness that not everybody sees the world (laughs) Um, the way that they see it. Yeah. So, permission listeners, right? Like, set the boundaries you need to set, and they don't have to like it, right? It's not about them. It's about what do you need? What does your family need? What does your inner child need? That's what I'm really hearing you say, Ivy, is to
1: choose that inner child. Yes. To choose to care for that inner child. That means you need to take some space and a break to soothe them and yourself. And absolutely you do that. You know, there's internal boundaries. What am I going to do with my capacity right now? Like you said, I'm going to text my son right now and not call and have a voice conversation. So that was an internal boundary for yourself. That was with boundary. my
0: parents, not my kids. Oh, with
1: your parents. They oh, prefer
0: okay. text. My kids are setting I, boundaries uh, with me. Like, we'll talk about this over text, mom.
1: <laughs> all right. right, I'll be like, all right. Okay. <laughs> we then, then had some great
0: conversations over text, oh, right? Sure. With the teenagers. I'm
1: sure. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But the external boundary of how you allow yourself to be treated by another mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. No, it's not okay for you to yell at me like that and scream like that. And the conversation now we can reconvene at a time when we can speak to each other in these conversational tones. Also, I just want to be mindful of the fact that culturally in many Asian cultures, what is a boundary and how dare you set a boundary with me? Mm -hmm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so many times there's a you are not your own independent, autonomous being. You are an extension of me. And so therefore, there is a lot of expectation, filial piety. You must respect me. I am the elder. You don't question me. You're not allowed to have, you know, your own preferences, opinions, because you must always defer to that of what is in the greatest good of the family, which I decide. Right.
0: right. Is that the difference between like an interdependent society versus this independent kind of Western white? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Inter- or, interdependent. Yeah. Very much. We're all in connection with each other. Independence is we are all separate, autonomous beings, and there can be enmeshment, and then there can be too much independence to the point of isolation. Right. Again, for those who have grown up in two different households with two different cultures and two different worlds, where do you go, and how do you decide and determine what is actually most true for you? Because for some folks, they say, I will never cut off my parents. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of white therapists tell me to cut off your family, they're toxic, don't have anything to do with them. But they're like, but it would hurt me more to be completely cut off from them than it would hurt me to have to be in the presence of some of their harm. So Mm -hmm. I choose the lesser harms. And this is different for everyone. What is more helpful that doesn't move into the realm of being, it's more harmful than helpful? Yeah, and that's a personal, individual, sacred decision that everyone can make for themselves, and no judgment. Yeah, best for you.
0: Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you bringing that up culturally because it's easy to, for me, with my lens and my life experience, to look at something a certain way. I mean, God, there are days where I'm like, "What is with you people?" But at the end of the day, I adore my family. They're wacky mm-hmm. and. Have their own special brand, but I want to be in relationship with them. And even in that want and that desire, again, mm-hmm. I get to come back to, but what is this person actually capable of offering to me? Yes. Right. And can I receive the love the way that they're able to give it? And can that be enough?
1: Yes. And am I yeah. a resource sort of place where I'm able to right. engage in a way right. where I can maintain my foundation groundedness while in relationship right. the with them? Or do I need a little bit of space before I reach out or reach back?
0: Yeah, oh my gosh, this is so good, so mm-hmm. good. What advice, just as we, I'm looking at the time, I can't believe how fast time just went by, even though we had tech difficulties at the beginning. I know that <laughs> cut into it, but oh my gosh. So once we start to realize, okay, I'm having these realizations about where I'm looking for, for me, like that sense of worthiness and you know being seen And then I start to notice all the different places where the conditioning runs deep. And it can feel discouraging. It can feel like, am I ever gonna figure this out? Am I ever gonna, I know the answer to this. Am I ever gonna get to that place where this is no longer an issue for me? Probably not. But how can we source compassion for ourselves and just the journey that we're on with all of this?
1: So first noticing when there's, shaming, blaming, judgment, criticism, right? Our own inner critics can be so loud. Why aren't you already there yet? There's no there to get to, right? Why There's are you only still the- hung up on no. this? Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, this is present. This would like to be met in this moment. Can I in mean it now and now and now and now? And so often, so much of the change that I see, people don't even see themselves because it can be so minuscule, but it adds up. And I just say, as long as we have life, as long as we have breath, as long as we're alive, there is more that we can discover and grow from and heal from and have revealed. And this is part of being human, right? Like you said, there's no, and now I am totally then and forever regulated. And we're just not meant to live like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, first of all, you're human. Second of all, can you surround yourself with a compassionate, caring community who can see you, love you, support you exactly as you are on your journey, no matter where it is, 10 steps forward, two steps backward, anywhere, you know, on the spectrum and just love you there because you experiencing their love for you where you're at can also support you in loving yourself and accepting Mm -hmm. yourself where you're at. Continuing to surround yourself with, if you're interested about something, read a book about it, right? Let me learn how to do differently. Let me learn what other perspectives are. Let me learn what other options I have right? We can learn so much through the stories of others listening to podcasts, right? Like how in the 12-step rooms, right? There's different people, different levels of life experience so you can have experience, strength, and hope and different levels of that in all the spaces So you can create a community for yourself Mm -hmm. where you have different levels of different people at different places on their journey that can love you where they're at and you can love where they're at. And so that's super important too. And, and, And again, when it comes to your own noticing what you're doing to yourself, right? I'm beating myself up again. And the moment I notice that, I can choose to keep going. You know, I can choose to keep self-flagellating or I can choose maybe to check in with what part of myself is really hurting right now, really not feeling like she's enough, not that she's doing a bad job, right? And then, oh, how old are you? Come here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must be really hard to feel that way. I know that you might've gotten a lot of messages to do things faster, or that, you know, they're not good enough yet. And I just want to let you know you're great just as you are. And yeah. if you want to do better, what's the next little baby step we can take? Or if we need rest, can we give ourselves rest? Because healing work can be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And not burn out on the journey. How can mm-hmm. we make this and in a way that nourishes us as opposed to exhaust and drains us? Mm. Well, and I really
0: appreciate, too, that initial step of being aware that you're in the shame spiral being aware mm-hmm. that you're in the self doubt that you're in the inner critic mm-hmm. and like you said awareness provides space for that choice mm-hmm. so yeah. listeners pay attention <laughs>
1: <laughs> and sometimes if your inner critic is really loud you're like all right i'm setting a timer you have 3 minutes go go for it just yeah. go all out sometimes when you do that there's like a when you kind of shine a spotlight on that part of you and they can actually be seen as opposed to lurking you know in the yeah, shadows yeah.
0: Yeah, we're done. I guess we're done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. So again, all these different practices to try that can support you on your journey. Love it. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. And I want to talk to you about codependency.
0: Like I have more that I want to talk to you about, Ivy. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that you leave listeners with today before we close it up?
1: Oh, no, we're grateful to be here, grateful to the chance to speak. Thank you to those that are listening, that are making and protecting time and space for yourself. And if there's one thing that you heard or felt during this conversation, to explore that, mm-hmm. to integrate that, to begin to practice that maybe with curiosity and care for yourself and for others. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing. It's so important. As I said earlier, the work that you're doing to heal, heals yourself, those before you and those who will come after you.
0: Mm, Yeah. Mm. I always end my conversations with one last question,
1: which is what does joyful courage mean to you, Ivy? Ooh, joyful courage means having and taking and saying yes to the opportunity to show up fully expressed Mm. as all that you are in this moment and in each moment. Lovely. Thank you. Where can people find you and follow your work? All my social media, Instagram, and everything handles are at B A R E I V Y, Bear Ivy, like Bear Your Soul, Bear, mm. you know, Bear Ivy. And my website is bareivy.com. So feel free to say hi on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or medium.com. So, yes, thank you for connecting. It'd be great for me. Great to hear from anyone who's curious to learn more.
0: Yay. Thank you again so much for hanging out with me. This was awesome.
1: No, of course. Thank you, Casey, for having me. Take care, everyone.
0: Yay. All right. Thank you again for listening in to another show. Please check the show notes for any links mentioned in this episode. If you liked what you heard today, will you do me a favor and share it? Screenshot the show, plaster it all over your socials so that other parents know that we are creating value over here for them. If you really want to earn a gold star, head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. This does so much for the show, for the exposure. It's a great way to give back. Thank you to my team at Sproutable for all your support. Alana, Julieta, I love you so much. Thank you to Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for keeping the show sounding so good. And you, listener, thank you for continuing to show up. This is hard work that we're doing. I encourage you in this moment, in this moment together, let's take a deep breath in and follow that into your body. Hold it for a moment, exhale. And with that exhale, release the tension. And I invite you to trust. Trust that everything is gonna be okay. I'm so happy to support you. So glad to have spent time with you today. I'll see you next week.
2: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was